and let's focus on evidence and facts. So, so I always start from the point of view of what is the state of our economy? What's the true state? And and what I look at, and, I, and I'm, I've got my uh, you know economist hat on, uh, and my policy hat on. You have to look at the long-term facts, and you have to look objectively at how we compare, in particular, to other states of Australia. And when you do that for our state, um, it's it's grim. Now, I'm not here to be negative about the public sector, but you start to build a picture of an economy over the last 25, 30 years, older, less educated, more inward-looking, bigger government. So they were very useful jobs and industries at the time, but that's all vanished. What have we replaced those industries with? We've been trying to replace them now for the last 25 years with future jobs, but that data I just presented to you before, that the real growth has been in administration, healthcare, inward-looking jobs, is a sign that we're not diversifying our economy successfully. Hence, we'll get to this later in the podcast, you know, are our policies working? And what about the next time? So, so we, we have to manage that debt level so that we can respond to opportunities but risks in the future. And I believe we're at a little bit of a delicate stage. And I think we need bipartisan discussion on what is our sustainable debt level to ensure that we're not, um, uh, or that we are appropriately protecting future generations. Hey there, my name is Daniel Franco, and this is the Creating Synergy podcast, your business and leadership podcast where we speak to high-profile leaders and thinkers about their careers and dig deep by asking the questions we all want the answers to, uncovering their stories, strategies, leadership lessons, and their secrets to success. Today on the show, we had Adrian Temble, CEO of Thompson Gear and Chair of the South Australian Productivity Commission. So Adrian is challenging the economic policy consensus in South Australia and I believe in this debate. So I really wanted to give him the opportunity to set out his thinking, why he thinks we have an economic problem and why he thinks our policies aren't working and what he thinks is the best way forward. So if you're interested in our state, the state of South Australia's future, then this is a must listen. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Adrian Temple. Welcome back to the Creating Synergy podcast. Today, we have a returning guest, Mr. Adrian Temple. Welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. So CEO of Thompson Gear, but today we're, uh, we're going to be talking to you about um, your role as uh, the chair of the South Australian Productivity Commission. Um, so very, very excited. We've been uh, thinking about this podcast for uh, a long time. We have, haven't we? It's, been, it's an ambitious podcast. It is. It is. We'll explain that in a moment. But being a returning guest, I do want to. Um, how did you find the process last time? Did you? Uh... Oh no! Look, I, I enjoyed it, and I was very surprised by the level of um, feedback I received on it. You might remember we joked about there being maybe two listeners. <laughs> yeah, my, right. my wife and my, my mum. There was there was actually four. So <laughs> oh, really, it was, it was that's much good. more successful than I expected. Well but no, done. that was terrific. I really enjoyed it, and I found it really useful. Excellent. No, we had. I think you. you probably one of the most downloaded podcasts that we've had. So very successful where we received a ton of feedback. So if you haven't listened to uh, to that one, that one's about Adrian and his story uh, and how he came to be the great human that he is. But I, one, I, I do want to point out that after that podcast, there was, um, there was a, a nice little write-up for you in the advertiser, wasn't there? 
there was, <laughs> and I think I think they they used your podcast as a bit of a basis of that story. They so, they did. So it was all, it was very efficient. So all the local media, formal and informal media, working together. They they did. Um, very efficient. Do you do you remember the title of the of what the article was? I do. It was. Um, <laughs> Bit of making fun of me. It was making fun of me because you, 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 I never asked why they used that title. So the title was Temple of Boom. Yeah. So it was a, but, but you know, I know. I'm thinking surely your new nickname's Indiana. Like it's <laughs> no, but, but of course, um, it was making fun of the fact that I can be a little negative sometimes. Oh, really? So yeah, well, so, shouldn't it so be Temple tem- of Doom? Yeah, so Temple of Doom. Yeah. Things, so therefore. Making fun of me a little and trying to say that I'm more constructive than people think. Ah, uh, well done. Yes. No, Did you think that? Is it, do you think I, that's what it meant? I, I well, <laughs> it said Temple of Boom, and I um, know you being really passionate about South Australia and the opportunity that we do have. So I, I took it as the way it was written. But I, I did have a laugh, and I was. Yeah. I mean, you a bit of Harrison Ford about you. <laughs> uh, I, I don't think that was, but it was making fun of me. But, but it's actually – I'm glad you started there because it goes to the heart of I hope what we talk about today, yeah, which correct. is we can boom as a state, uh, but we have to do some hard work to get there. Sometimes that means hard conversations and talking about things that we don't like talking about. So, mm. you know, doom to boom, yeah. maybe, maybe, that's yeah. the, maybe that's the next line we have to work on. Yeah, we'll, we'll touch on some of those points uh, going, going through it. And, and just a shout out to the advertiser, it was a great article. Um, but just mention the podcast next time because I think you were quoted a few times in there and they didn't uh, they didn't give us a plug. I pay my $22 subscription <laughs> fee every single month, so give us a plug next time. Of course. Uh, <laughs> um, now, nah, but all jokes aside, um, you know, you are, are running one of the biggest legal firms here in, or the biggest legal firm here in South Australia and one of the, I think, around about the top 10 in the in Australia. But we're going to talk to you about your role as SA Productivity Commission Chair, can you please uh, start off with just explaining your role as the as the Productivity Chair, if you could? No, 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 very pleased to. A- and uh, the former Premier Stephen Marshall uh, had a real ambition to inject, I believe, uh, real economic discipline mm-hmm. and good economic policy across SA government. Mm-hmm. And so one of his election uh, promises was prior to winning in 2018 was to um, create a productivity commission in the form of the federal body, which I think over the years has been around for decades, used to be viewed a little sceptically, particularly by the progressive or left side of politics as maybe being a little right wing or too rational Mm -hmm. and a bit too hard. Mm -hmm. Um, But over the years, I think that federal body has won a great deal of respect for being a source of evidence-based independent thinking mm-hmm. that can inform uh, the community and particularly the political class. So Stephen wanted to create that here in SA, our own little mini version of it. Uh, I think it was great policy. I always believed in it. Uh, he got me involved. I was delighted. Uh, and I became the chair, chairperson, chairman, just not, not long before the last state election. Mm-hmm. So, of course, it was Stephen's baby uh, or the Liberal Party's baby, uh, but to the great credit, I believe, of the new government, Uh, The Malinowskis government, they've embraced it. Uh, Peter also believes in it uh, and is looking forward to hopefully the body continuing uh, and hopefully getting better at providing 
good sources of independent, evidence-based thinking that can assist us being a great state. So where does this evidence come from? Well, that's that's interesting, isn't it? Because there's so much data out there, Mm. there's so many facts, but a lot of it is hidden away Mm. Uh, and it takes people like, you know, the South Australian Productivity Commission, the team and myself, uh, to find it, understand it and try and translate it into what it means and what it means to policy in the future in the state. Mm -hmm. So it sounds dull and, you know, Daniel, one of the challenges you and I have today is to turn what could be a little bit of a dull topic into something, the state economy, um, uh, into something that is interesting and useful. And Mm -hmm. that's our objective and I hope we achieve it. Well, I, and we will point out this is a, a South Australian uh, focused podcast. SA, SA. And yeah, and really, I think what we want to go through today is um, some of your viewpoints as the as your as the chair. But you've been a bit controversial with some of your thoughts. Is that correct in saying in saying that? I think that's fair. I, I think. Look, look, I I can tend to come across sometimes as being a little. Um, not negative, like I said in the opening remarks, but a little bit focused on the bad rather than the good. Mm-hmm. Uh, a bit like a you know an opposition leader yep. or a contrarian. I don't I don't think that's me, uh, but it can come across that way. And I and I've operated my business career that way. Mm-hmm. I was quite a critic uh, of earlier management of my law firm. Um, I believed uh, that I was right. Uh, it could have been viewed as a little divisive at the time. Mm -hmm. But over time, I think the thinking was validated. And so that gives me confidence as I get older uh, to back my instincts and my judgments and say things that might not make me popular, Mm -hmm. but I hope over time uh, are useful and might even lead to those views being respected one day. So that's why I'm here. Uh, I don't expect anyone to say, uh, gee, he's a nice guy and (laughs) I want to follow him to the end of the earth. Yeah. Uh, but hopefully there's something meaningful in what I say and it's of use to some people. You're a half glass full critic though, right? Because you say it from the point of view of I want this, I love South Australia and I want it to grow. I'm one of these and marketing consultants hate me <laughs> uh, in, in, in professional services. Yeah, you know, I've okay. worked with plenty of them in my business career. Why is that? Uh, because generally speaking the marketing consultants – would come to us and say, we can market you to greatness. Mm. And I would say, I think we, we can be great, but we've got a lot of hard work to do mm-hmm. to build our capability and to be the best we can before we start advertising how great we are. Mm. So let's put all that on hold uh, and let's look at ourselves to be faster, fitter, better mm. educated, more competitive. And then when we've achieved all of those things, we can communicate facts about how great we are mm. uh, and they'll be real and people will believe it and will be then successful. So so I'm I'm a little bit from that school of um, I'm an optimist. Mm-hmm. I believe we can be great. I think most things are possible. But you've got to do the hard work to get there, which means sometimes early on in the cycle uh, it's not as much fun as we'd like. Mm. No, it's not. But I do like the approach. I mean – Put the horse before the cart, right? That's essentially what you're doing, which is uh, well. I, I, if you don't mind me jumping in, and I think this applies to your business, my business, your family, my family, uh, you know, a sporting club, mm-hmm. a state, a country. You, you, you really have to accept that if you're going to get better, 
who would say that there's an easy way to get there? Mm. Uh, most of us would say, let's use a sporting club example in particular. If you're down, on the, if you didn't make finals, an AFL final start, mm. you know, the week after next, so it's topical. If you didn't make finals this year, do any of the fans of that club, that's Adelaide and Port Adelaide, does anyone believe that there's an easy way back? Or do the fans believe that you've got to make some changes, maybe train a little bit differently, work really hard over the summer, mm -hmm. and then you might make finals next year? So I don't think anyone in the community ever believes that there's an easy way to greatness. Mm. But sometimes, I'd be interested in your views, sometimes our political leaders feel obliged to say we can make things better uh, but we, there's an easy way to get there. Mm. You know, they, they almost feel sometimes, I almost feel sometimes that they feel that they don't want to put the pressure on the electorate or mm. make them feel that there's going to have to be some compromise or some pain along the way. And that's, that, that's unfortunate because then maybe they're not telling the full story mm. of the pathway to greatness. I think is it, is it just a poor form of communication? I mean, anyone in a senior role like that would clearly understand nothing's easy. Right, there's a, there's a lot of uh, moving parts within within that. I change. just think it's politics is yeah. such a such a tough business. Yeah, and it's hard to be viewed. You know, it's hard to get elected when you're a pessimist or when you're mm. saying we all have to tighten our belts. I mean, that's not a that's not a great pathway mm. to winning votes. I accept that, um, but still, sometimes I think that uh, if we can just communicate a little better around the challenges we face that we're better able to solve them mm. and really get to a sustainable place of um, success. Right. We're not here to solve the world of politics. No, but, no, 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 no. I'm not that, a politician. But is, that, will be, but is so. that your role? Is that your role as productivity? Well, is, to, role, is to point out those facts? Well, well, certainly my role is to stay out of politics and I do. Yeah. Uh, and I'm like you. I'm, I'm an Australian citizen so I vote. I'm obliged to. Uh, but when it comes to my role as the chairman of the Productivity Commission, it's free of politics. I've got zero interest in it. It's all about SA and the best information possible that could assist those those who really are the leaders, yeah. like our current premier or you know our, our opposition leader. Brilliant. Just a quick note: this episode is brought to you by Synergy IQ, leaders in enabling change. Synergy IQ are the ones you call when the change or challenge seems so complex and you don't know where to start. But more importantly, we're the ones you call when you want to make a change that will actually last. If you want to check them out, it's at synergyiq.com.au. All right, well, let's get into what we, uh, we're really keen to discuss. And, and you and I have been having this conversation for quite some time about getting this podcast together. You came to me and said, Dan, I wouldn't mind challenging the state's economic policies and, and putting it out there for, uh, for people to listen to. And I'd love to do it through your platform. So thank you for, uh, thank for you. reaching it out. I don't normally do the policy stuff. It's not my strong game. So I am really going to come at this from a, from a person who is curious. That is going to be my position. And I'm going to um, learn what your thought process is. Uh, and we are going to share. And as we said, it may be controversial. It may be uh, different to what some others believe. If there's anyone out there who's keen to come in and, and counteract or counter-challenge this back, then I'd, be lo I'd love to have you on the show as well. So feel free to reach out. But we're here to challenge the um, economic policies that the state has in place and has been in for the past 30 years. Can you tell us what those government policies are first, please? Yeah, and, and, and do you mind before I do that just to set the scene because uh, I'm very keen to do that and I've do done that. that in a few speeches that. That, that you've heard. Yeah. Uh, my, my, my thesis essentially is that we, we have to just 
leave anecdotes at the at the you know at the door mm-hmm. that is oh you know we've we've just won a particular company to Adelaide so we're great Le- yeah. that's an anecdote that's just a single standalone event it doesn't mean that the economy is stronger yep. leave that at the at the door and let's try to leave opinion at the door as well and let's focus on evidence and facts so so i always start from the point of view of what is the state of our economy mm-hmm. what's the true state and and what i look at and I, and I'm, i've got my uh, you know, economist hat on mm-hmm. uh, and my policy hat on. You have to look at the long-term facts and you have to look objectively at how we compare in particular to other states of Australia. And when you do that for our state, um, it's it's grim. Mm-hmm. And I go back 30 years, as you say, I use the state bank, uh, I won't call it disaster, but setback in the early 90s as a starting point for modern SA. Uh, and what I say is things haven't really worked that well since. So what do you mean by that? So, so first of all, you build the picture up. As a, We're an ageing population. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have structurally become older over that period. Uh, and so that's viewed as a challenge mm-hmm. from a healthcare system point of view. So yep. that, that's point one. Uh, and relative to other states, we, we are older. Mm-hmm. So, so that gives us... That's a bit more of a burden on future generations. The second point is we're less educated. Mm-hmm. So, so the percentage of our workforce, the 25 to 44-year-old, you know, the engine room of an economy, mm-hmm. South Australians are structurally less educated than in other states. For example, in all the other states except for Queensland, the biggest portion of workers in that 25 to 44 cohort have got university degrees. Yeah. Uh, in our state, that's the smallest portion of our workforce. Mm-hmm. So it just gives you a taste of the fact that we're older mm-hmm. than the other states. What does that what does that mean though? Like I I I get it from a innovation point of view. We yep. we obviously don't have the big companies here well, attracting those talent. Is it is there an exodus of of, of those or well, is it well, what, th- there might be. Yeah. It might well be that because we haven't had the jobs mm-hmm. that people have left. But on education, just just to because I, I, that, that's, that's a really good point because that's been put to me. So when, mm-hmm. when I've said before that we've got a less educated workforce, mm-hmm. people say, well, um, you know, we've lost people. So is, is that our fault? I think it actually is, but yeah. let's just pause that. But there's another important fact as well, which is that less of our school leavers go into higher education or jobs. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a statistic around... 65% of our school leavers go into higher education and jobs. Mm-hmm. The national average is more 73 or 74%. Mm-hmm. So something's going on in our, educa- our, our pre-university education system, which means that we're generating less people uh, uh, that go on to build higher levels of skills, mm-hmm. which means less people going on to higher levels of income and value creation, mm-hmm. which is what we all aspire to. If you look at the last few years, the narrative's gone from employment because we've got very low unemployment, mm-hmm. you know, that we need jobs to we want well-paid jobs uh, and lack of wages growth has become a real issue and, and, and no one likes lack of wages growth, particularly South Australians. So that's an issue we have to solve. So, sorry, I've segued there, but just going back to you, yeah. edu- in, it, it, there's an issue with the level of education in our state and that's a key marker of future economic success. So, so that's that's the second weakness. The third, the third weakness that I really keep an eye on is the types of jobs that we have been creating in SA over the last twenty-five to thirty years. And essentially, there's been 
I wouldn't call it an explosion, but significant growth in jobs in administration, mm-hmm. government, aged care, healthcare. So basically jobs which are inward looking. Yep. We're administering or we're caring for ourselves. There's no export element to there. There's very limited growth opportunities. Mm. And generally those jobs are not as well paid as working for a high value add exporter, you know, a drug company or a tech company yeah. that's taking on the world and making big profit yeah. margins. So so there's been a real growth in those jobs. Well, you can see the clear link between the education and the jobs. It makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. And, and, and you're right. We'll build a picture up. That makes sense. And then there's another just makes anecdotal sense, doesn't it, that the jobs of that nature are growing. Mm-hmm. We've already got – we're getting older. That makes sense. We're triggering more need for mm-hmm. those types of jobs mm-hmm. as well. But they're not high-paid jobs. They don't really – the career path not necessarily as interesting as joining in the ground level a, a large exporter mm-hmm. that has, you know, the world at its feet. Yeah, or a young startup. You know, and so the education levels mm. are lower. Those jobs are growing. And the jobs, of course, that have contracted over that period were manufacturing jobs. Mm. So these were jobs which were industrial and could lead yeah. to uh, value-add and maybe export. They've contracted. And meanwhile, Daniel, with all of that, the percentage of public sector or, or the public sector wage bill over the last 20 years has risen from 8% of gross state product to 9%. might not seem like a lot, but our gross state product is about $115 billion. So yeah. we, we, we've started to, as a percentage of the state, <laughs> there's another billion dollars that's yeah. gone into public sector wages. Now, yeah. I'm not here to be negative about the public sector, but you start to build a picture of an economy yeah. Over the last 25, 30 years, it's older, less educated, more inward-looking, yeah. bigger government. Well, I so I can talk to that for please, a bit if I, if I will. And I uh, come from my background uh, from a nationality and heritage point of view is, is an Italian point of view. So parents who have come in from overseas, well, my mum, my dad was born here but he was a, he, he was a young Italian family as well when they, they only just arrived when he was born. Um, so growing up in a world of uh, security is what was really important to them, right? If you think of from a value set point of view, uh, I remember and I have previously worked for government before this podcast and me starting my own business uh, and I remember when I got the role within government, the words that came out of my parents' mouth, parents' mouth or even just their attitude was, right, now you're safe. Yeah. You're safe. You're you're okay. You will do okay. And then I remember when I left, there were people in my community, family community, that would say, why would you leave the comfort of a government role? You know, so there is very much a... That's a very good story. I, I think that's a really important story. I had the same thing. My mother wanted me to work at ETSA, the mm-hmm. old electricity trust, because she yep. thought that was secure. She mm-hmm. still repeats it to this day. Mm-hmm. Now, that's... It's an interesting example of the psychology of our state, isn't it? That two of us sitting here randomly both had the experiences of the government being a good source of security. Mm-hmm. Government's important, but it doesn't really grow the state in the way we want it to. You know, we, we want higher wages here, and I'll come to wages in a moment, mm-hmm. how they compare. Um, so to do that, we have to grow, and, and true growth, sustainable growth that creates wealth, of course, is in the private sector. Yeah. So it's interesting there, but there's another, I think there's another really important element to that. In parallel with that phenomenon that you, you just described, 
There was also the protected manufacturing industries mm. that you grew up a little bit with, but I did as well. White goods, textiles, motor vehicles. Yeah. And they and they were they were quite well paid jobs as well. They were protected by the federal government, mm-hmm. so they they had a semi semi government nature to them, and they were great stepping stones for whole families to go from you know working class migrant get their kids educated. So they were very useful jobs and in industries at the time, but that's all vanished. Yeah, what have we replaced those industries with? We've been trying to replace them now for the last twenty five years with future jobs. But that data I just presented to you before, that the real growth has been in administration, mm. healthcare, inward-looking jobs, is a sign that we're not diversifying our economy successfully. Mm. Hence, we'll get to this later in the podcast, you know, are our policies working? Because there hasn't been a state government since, you know, 1991, 92, of both political persuasions that hasn't said our objective is to diversify the economy and pursue higher value jobs through innovation technology. That's that's a 30-year-old story. Yeah. But Daniel, what I challenge is, has it worked? And that's the big debate that I'm mm. having, you know, with you and hopefully yeah. others in the future. Well, well to play devil's advocate, I, and I, I don't know if you've got these numbers in front of you, if you look at that growth percentage from 8% to 9% in the public sector from a wage bill, Is there, do you have the statistics from private industry? Is there a growth in that area too or is it just... What that that statistic, remember what it what it shows. It, it doesn't say that the wages bill has gone up. Okay. It says that it's it's gone up as a percentage of the economy. Okay. So if you think about the economy, it's a hundred percent. Yep. And you know, eight percent of it oh, is yeah. a public sector wage bill, mm-hmm. and that's become nine mm-hmm. percent. So you might say one percent, Adrian. Really, is it really material? But I think coupled with the other data, it shows a trend mm-hmm. of government becoming more central to the economy. Mm-hmm. And that my argument is that that is not consistent with wanting a high-wage, high-growth economy. Yeah. And is that what we want? Well, I'd be very surprised. A, a good question. Yeah. Because exactly going back to your point, well, your mum and my mum wanted job security. Mm. So are people happy if they earn less but they have more secure and simple and comfortable lives. That might that might be the case. Mm. That might be the case. And that's for the political class to work out every four years at election time. That's not mm. a matter for me. But what what I say is most people will say, and, and if you look at the last federal election in particular, it was we can deliver, we need to fix low wages. We need to create wages growth. Mm-hmm. So I say, well, if you want wages growth, um, then you need to get the right policies to do it because yeah. the last 25 years of policies <coughs> here, at least at state level, I don't think have delivered in that respect. And just if I, if I can just go to that point, yeah, it's very very relevant to wages. Yeah, productivity in Australia over the last uh, you know if we measure it over the last twenty five years is viewed as having not progressed well, particularly in the last five years. But our productivity growth is often blamed for our low wages growth in Australia. Can you explain productivity? Well, productivity is. You put in a unit of time Mm -hmm. and you put in a unit of capital Mm -hmm. and you get an output. You know, you create this, you know, coffee cup. And then next year, if we put the same units in, but we create one and a half coffee cups for the same units, that means our productivity has risen by, you know, 50%. Yep, makes sense. Now, with the same amount of inputs, we're creating more. So guess what? That's going to be more profit. And the theory is that more of that profit trickles back into wages. Mm. Now, the unions and the, and the right-wingers will debate that, but let's just leave that aside. Yep. The reality is 
the economy will be stronger if we're more productive, if we're doing more today than we used to do yesterday with the same level of input. So in Australia, the level of that growth, you know, the amount of more coffee cups we're producing mm-hmm. has been very flat and is criticised. But in SA, but, it's, but there has been growth. Yeah. Modest growth, but there's been growth. In Australia. In Australia. Yeah. In SA over the same period, it's actually gone backwards. So over the last 25 years, and you see my graph here, yep. you can see the red goes down, the yellow goes up. What that means is that over the last 25 years, just you know, using this, this example, we used to make one coffee cup an hour with you know, a worker and, and mm-hmm. a machine, and now we make about three quarters of a coffee cup mm. an hour. That's a problem. So, so it's hard. Well, I think it is because it's hard to justify higher wages and a better standard of living and better schools and better hospitals and more police but- if we're not – Doing more. In fact, we're doing a little bit less. Well, you take out the Mitsubishi's and the Holdens from that that graph. Is that why? Is that is it those well, industries look, 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 or it, it, it could be? Yeah, it could be. But whether it is or not, that's done. Mm. And that that's you know Mitsubishi left here a long time ago. Holden mm. more 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 recently. Yeah. Um, there's a long term trend here around the growth of the jobs I described before. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's not this parallel growth in these export jobs, which create. Uh, which are a sign of competitiveness and yeah. quite high-value jobs. Now, on exports, mm-hmm. if we can go to that, if you don't mind, that's another key metric. At the beginning of the decade, uh, century, mm-hmm. my apologies, yeah. 2000, South Australia produced 8.2% of the country's exports, which is, which is pretty good. Yeah. Uh, but now we're down to 3.2%. And in fact, the, la- the last uh, goods export data, the export of goods, mm-hmm not services but goods, we're down to 2.7%. So, so if you analyse that, that's starting to get – that's starting to look very, very small. Mm-hmm. We're about 6% of the national economy but we're now less than 3% of national goods exports. Now, that could be a sign of lack of competitiveness mm. because exporting into the global market – you have to be super competitive because you're competing with the whole world. Yeah. People will only buy your services or goods or commodities if you do it really, really well. Mm-hmm. And our state has gone backwards. Now, we have grown marginally our exports over that period, but the other states are racing ahead. Mm. Partly it's gas, partly it's iron ore. But you can't keep using that as an excuse to say, oh, Queensland and WA are booming. Mm. Hence, you know, we're just drifting back, but we're still okay. The reality is we're not keeping up. Mm. And that means that our kids will have less money spent on them in schools, our parents less money in hospitals because our economy is getting smaller and poorer. Yeah. So I think these issues are important. Just one final point before I pause is that our wages our wages are lower than other Australian wages, both in the public sector and in the private sector. And that trend is in the wrong direction. They've actually softened steadily over that last 25 years. Mm-hmm. So we're just earning less than other Australians. And, again, I, I don't like the fact that we're getting poorer than mm. the rest of the country. Mm. That's a problem. On the exports piece, right, and we'll probably jump into later on what, the, what, what your thoughts are and what the state should concentrate on. But from a defence point of view, if we are known as the defence state, does, does that – affect the export? I mean, that doesn't the defence work doesn't go towards exports, does it? But- well, well, it could. It could spawn an export industry. And the dream of the recent 
federal governments, and, mm. and you remember Christopher Pine, a yeah. very prominent South Australian, was quite central to <clears throat> the, the attempt by the federal government to re-industrialise mm. Australia, and that project continues and we hope it's successful. Mm -hmm. the, the hope has always been that we will produce, for example, a new generation of submarines, mm. uh, and that could be the, not just the development of a sovereign industry and mm -hmm. capability, but also be the springboard for innovation and therefore exports of defence products. And I think there might be some beginnings of that, but it's very, very early days. Yeah. So I agree with you. The defence sector is an opportunity for our state. Yeah. Uh, but I'll just say one thing. There's always a but with me and I accept that. <laughs> but you don't want to put your eggs all in one basket. No. Because as we've learned with defence, if you look at the cancellation of the Naval contract, mm -hmm. I think it was last year, wasn't it? Yeah, um, wiped out. It just shows you how volatile mm. things can be if you rely on one sector, and that's one sector that is also captive to geopolitical risks. So very suddenly the whole pipeline of work can be cancelled as it was, mm. and there's still uncertainty as to what will happen next with AUKUS. Mm. Will we make our own nuclear subs? Will they be uh, built elsewhere and so on? Yeah. I don't know the answer. You don't know. The, no one knows the answer. But again, SA's got it and we should push hard but we can't rely on it to solve all our problems. We need to do something else. But of course I, we do. I, I want to ask the question, and going back to the exports, I think that my point is, is exports a measure of growth? It, it has to be, doesn't is it? Is it the only measure? Though? Well, it's not the only measure, but if you're a small economy like us and all you do is do business between yourselves, yeah. we know the principles of free trade mean that if everyone else is involved in trade and we're not, we will grow at a slower rate, right, okay. obviously. So, so by definition, we will get poorer than the other states or other countries mm -hmm. that are trading with the world and focusing on comparative advantage, the most efficient use of resources, um, than if we are an inward-looking economy. So if we made all our own fridges and cars, we'd be so poor because they would be so expensive. Mm. Um, we'd all have all the industries here, but because they've got small scale uh, – the price would be huge, yeah. and you and I would have no money to actually buy a car. You yeah. know, like the old Soviet Union. Mm -hmm. who, 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 excuse the ignorance in this question. Who is the biggest exporter in Australia? Which state? Uh, I don't know that off the top of my head uh, by absolute numbers, but WA and Queensland are, are leading the way by a long, long way. Yeah. I'd say WA is the biggest exporter on gross. Uh, numbers because of iron ore, mm. but of course gas from Queensland is enormous as well. So, so remember, we're a commodity exporter. Yeah. Uh, when you take out agriculture, minerals, and uh, other natural resources, we don't do much more. Uh, but the other states are way ahead of us. Thank you. So, in regards to the current policies, right? You, so you've you've set up this. You set a good picture. You've painted a. The, the Temple of Doom. Um, Temple of Bo uh, Doom, yes, yes, yes. No, you're quite right. And, um, and, and, so you, and you're saying what I'm hearing come out in, in your language is this has been the same way for the past 30 years, which means there's consensus in these government policies. Yeah, I believe so. The, the you know, as I said, you know, we're older, we're less productive, mm. government's getting bigger, wages aren't growing. So why isn't new government coming rates? in? And well, this is where... Again, we don't want to go into politics. That's not our job here today. But addressing our growth problem, I think, is a key priority. Over the last 30 years, 
uh, we've grown at 2.1% per year, the country at 2.9%. So every mm. year the country goes further ahead of us. Mm. So I say we've got, you know, it's simple, a growth problem. Mm. And then exactly what you're leading into is, well, what is the solution? Have we been doing the same thing for the last 25 years? And I believe we have. The consensus in this state for at least that period is that government, the state government, probably the the, the biggest player in our economy, 100,000 employees, spends $20 billion plus per year in an economy of 115. So it's probably in direct terms, it's, it's close to 20% of our economy. So it's huge. Mm. And it makes laws and it can create leadership because people want to watch them on television. Yep. So that, that state government can have a huge impact on the future of this state. We shouldn't always look to government to solve it. It can have a huge impact. And the consensus has been that government will not just uh, facilitate and step back, but that it will drive and create jobs mm -hmm. and that it will have a very interventionist uh, uh, industry policy that involves whether it's the development of precincts or government grants or trade missions or marketing the state uh, or giving business services, you know, training people how to be businesses. Yep. All of that coupled with particularly for the last 15 years continuous infrastructure spend, mm. so stimulating the building industry mm. and then helping businesses win um, customers and to raise capital. And, and to create businesses as in to, and to create industries. Our state governments have been very central in creating industry plans. So they're right in the middle of the action. They're saying we're going to help you create industries and create plans. Hold your hand. Hold your hand. We're going to, and we're going to give you money. Mm. And on our, you know, the Productivity Commission, it's, it's probably directly maybe three, three fifty, four hundred million dollars a year, year mm. after year after year. We're going to spend that and we're going to help in partnership with business, we're going to help create this economy. And I say uh, that if that's worked, then you're going to have to find some good evidence to show that it has because all of the macro data, and I've got more that I didn't describe before in my no, come that's... to it, shows that it's not working because over the long term, we continue to underperform the other states. Mm. So are those industry policies and that infrastructure stimulus are they working? And I, and I say, I don't think they have. Mm. But if they have, produce the evidence so we don't spend another 25 years doing the same things that may not work over that period. So let's paint a picture, right? If we continue on this merry path, <laughs> um, what does South Australia look like in 25 years well, if we don't change this? I think you can, yeah, I think you can extrapolate uh, what's happened in the last 25 over the next 25. Mm -hmm. Maybe we'll have some good luck and something will drop out of the air. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe they'll build, you know, 50 submarines at Osborne. Yeah. Uh, unlikely. We don't you know, want to. Maybe there will be a hydrogen boom mm -hmm. and the whole world will come here and invest, you know, tens of billions of dollars. Maybe. Unlikely. The reality is uh, that if we keep doing the same things, like with most things in life, uh, you will get the same outcomes. Mm. And so that's my big challenge. And, and, and you know, I really want the bureaucracy or the academics to challenge me on this and say, no, these, these policies have worked. They have been money well spent uh, and to produce independent, credible evidence to, to, to verify that so we can all be comfortable and you and I can go off and do other things. Yeah, have a couple of wines. I, I, um, 
if they're producing evidence though, then they need to produce evidence that uh, it'll continue working for the next 25 years though, right? Sure, sure, of course. And that for me is the biggest issue. I'm a proud South Australian. Like I want to live in a state that is continuously growing and invested in its own growth. But am I the only, am I sitting in a minority? Yeah. I mean, the, the, the there's the growth problem. Mm. And there's also, we've also got, just to finish the picture, yeah. and let's just dive into that. I think we also have a fiscal problem. Mm. I think our level of state debt, which has basically gone from 15 years ago from around one and a half billion, so basically no debt, within over the next three years, it's going to have grown to about $34 billion. Mm. And in three or four years, we're going to be, we're forecast to be paying interest of $1.2 billion a year, just interest, mm. just interest. So think about what we could do if we didn't have to pay interest, we could pay $1.2 billion. Mm. Now, that's not suggesting that all of that debt was spent on um, unconstructive activities, but you'd have to ask yourself this. In 2000, and you've lived through that period, in 2007, essentially, you know, we were debt-free. Uh, in the next two or three years, we'll get to 34. That's the forecast in the budget mm. papers. Mm-hmm. What have, have, Do we have $34 billion of value that we've invested that makes us an incredibly more dynamic, productive uh, and high-growth economy? You have to ask yourself that. Yes, we've got a new hospital. Mm. Uh, we've got some more, uh, some new roads. But $34 billion? $34 billion is a lot, isn't it's it? It's a lot. And and we're still in uh, you know spending mode. So I, I think we've got a fiscal problem yeah. and we've got a growth problem, and they are the two issues. I don't want to go beyond that because we'll make this podcast too broad. <laughs> They're the two issues that I think we have to face up to. So a, a, a growth problem and a and a fiscal problem. And a fiscal you know, problem. I think we've got a debt issue. Yeah. Uh, because debt, you know, up until you know recently when inflation suddenly occurred, there was all this talk that debt doesn't matter. Because interest rates are low mm-hmm. and all you have to worry about is servicing uh, debt and interest rates are going to stay low for, you know, not forever but for many, many, many years. Mm. And all of a sudden over Christmas that all changed yeah. and suddenly debt does matter. Mm. Debt always matters. Inflation is always a risk. And it was always high risk that we would, we would grow our debt heavily because external shocks happen. Things go wrong. Countries invade each other. There are oil shocks, mm. you know, COVID occurs, there'll be cyber risks, there will be a stock market collapse. Yeah. And if you're not in control of your debt level, then you won't have the money to spend with the next crisis. Yep. And so if we're at 34 and interest rates continue to rise, what happens if there's conflict in Taiwan and we have a heavy recession in Australia? Do we have the capacity to borrow another five or six billion and to go uh, and stimulate our economy to protect our families? Mm. Maybe, but we're starting to get on the edge. And what about the next time? So so we, we have to manage that debt level mm. so that we can respond to opportunities but risks in the future. And I believe we're a, a little bit of a delicate stage. And I think we need bipartisan discussion on what is our sustainable debt level to ensure that we're not um, – uh, or that we are appropriately protecting future generations. There's so much in that. Mm. Um, my question, though, coming back to paint a picture, like you said, we could use the data and have a look at it and it doesn't look so great, but what if we are going to visualise the state of South Australia, right? I'm going to use an extreme example. Is it broken windows when you walk down the street? What does it look like from, a, from the point of view of, of being in this state? 
Well, will, I, will we attract talent and will we yep. – what happens? So I, th- I think what a really important point to make is that at the outset here mm. is that the narrative, particularly in our state over that whole period, has been to create jobs, mm-hmm. to get unemployment down. You know, we've had relatively higher unemployment. We still have the highest unemployment in the country but it's at 4%. Mm-hmm. The country is in the threes now. So we have at the moment – Historically, very low levels of unemployment, which is great because A, everyone's got a job if they want one, mm, yeah. but B, that means there's a lot more scope for reform mm. when everyone's got a job. So if we were at 10% unemployment, it's going to be very hard for me to say let's reform the public sector to create fiscal repair that then allows us to have the economic platform for future growth. Mm. But I think it's very sensible and balanced to say it when – we have such low levels of unemployment and, in fact, employers, private sector employers in Adelaide are saying we need more workers and we can't find them. Mm. You said that to me before this podcast. Mm-hmm. So, so the ability to say let's look at our spending and let's reform it in a way that makes it sustainable so we don't have to borrow money every year mm-hmm. I think is more possible now than ever before. So that image you have of you know, smash glass, <laughs> and, you know, the garbage isn't being yeah. collected yeah. because we've got austerity yeah. and we're just squeezing so tightly that we're all living in a, a really, really difficult situation. I'm not sure that's, that's the right image at the moment. Okay. But, but still I accept that reform uh, takes courage and, and there's, uh, you know, there's sometimes pain. So why, why is this a big problem for South Australia? Because I think, like I said before, if for two reasons, two, two key on, on fiscal, let's just focus yeah. on fiscal. Can we, with those climbing debt levels, with the risk of higher interest rates, afford, can we afford another COVID in two years' time? Okay. So we'd have to, let's say, we, let's say we spent round numbers stimulating the economy with, say, we borrowed, say, let's just say five, six billion dollars. Yeah. Could we go to 40? Mm. Maybe. But what if interest rates went up by then to 5%? Quite mm. foreseeable. That would mean that we'd be spending almost $2 billion of interest a year. Mm. Can we afford another, we're at 1.2 in three years' time. So could we afford to spend another billion dollars a year on interest with all the pressure on healthcare and schools in six or seven years' time? Mm. If there was another COVID or there's a huge cyber attack or there was a war in Taiwan. Yeah. Could we afford that? That's my question to you. Now you say maybe, but you'd start to feel a bit wobbly, wouldn't you? Yeah. Our credit rating would be reduced, our interest charges would go up. And Daniel, that's before we even talk about the repayment of that debt. Mm. So that's that's the defensive side of this. Yeah. The offensive side is this. Hydrogen could be a great new industry for our state. It could be. I've just done some work on it. Um it's, it, it's got lots of challenges, but it's got lots of opportunities. Mm-hmm. And the state should do its absolute best to grab the opportunity. My view, though, is uh, that to win some of that foreign investment to maybe or, or interstate investment to build hydrogen export industry, it might well be that it will help a great deal if our state government can co-fund some of the infrastructure, mm. ports, cheap energy, mm. water, Queensland and WA, who have got the lion's share of active hydrogen projects today, you know, it's a race to try to win this battle, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, will throw a great deal of money at it and they have the infrastructure. We um, arguably 
won't have the capacity to say, yes, our debt position is so strong, it's very manageable. If we need to write a check for $2 billion and invest in the future, we can do it. That won't be the case if our fiscal position continues to weaken. Because remember, there's high levels of state debt in some of the other states, particularly Queensland, but they've got a growth history. Mm. They've got the Olympics. Mm. They've got gas. Mm. They've got tourism. They're bigger. They, they have a huge level of uh, internal uh, uh, individuals yeah. wanting to move there, you know, from Melbourne, the yeah. phenomena of – so they've got growth. We don't have a growth record. So our ability to, to sustain higher levels of debt is nowhere near what the bigger states are. Mm. So, so that's why I say fiscal is an issue from a defensive point of view but an offensive point of view and I would love – to see some bipartisan decision on what our sustainable debt levels actually are. So we then have realistic expectations of what our governments can do. And that, for example, is north-south. North mm. You know, that, that if we go ahead with that, it's a lot of money. We need to make sure we do a very sensible uh, assessment and decision on whether we can afford it. Mm. So why are all the other states so much more advanced? You talk about Queensland. Queensland, we've got... We've got a weather, you know, weather Natural, attracts a lot. Yeah, they've got that wonderful climate. Uh, you know, and the you wonderful can, final can, things. Can't, the can't argue that at all, right? Yeah, yeah. So let's let's take that out. But let, let's take Queensland out of this comment then. Why is South Australia always lagging behind other states? Okay. I think it, I, I'm so glad you asked because previous political leaders have said, and I'm not being critical of them, they've said, look, it's always been the way. We don't, you know, we're a desert. Um, you know, we don't, as you say, we don't have that tropical climate or mm. maybe some of the natural beauty. We're remote. We don't have the water. Mm -hmm. And so federation, because the federal system helps us, federation, you know, the countries, the states, they're federated. We should be supported because we're often criticised by the big, more powerful states as always putting our hands out for support. And the feedback is, you know, stand on your own two feet. Mm. And, and previous leaders of this state have said, fair enough, we should be given extra support because we're not as fortunate, just as you said, you know, we don't have all that gas and all that iron ore as others. Now, I always say I think we've got plenty of value here yeah. and we've got plenty of natural beauty. We just have to see it for what it is. But equally, I always just use two words, Singapore and Israel. Uh, and these are two of the most dynamic extraordinary um, economies in the world. Mm, One's tiny on a swamp <laughs> and the other is in the, in, in the middle of a desert where it's much drier and hotter than here, I can tell you, in the summer. It's not yeah. much fun there. Yeah. I've been there. Mm -hmm. um, and, and surrounded by enemy combatants. Yeah. So, so, so you can do anything. Yeah. Uh, the but future the, of our economy but, is its people. And, and, and sorry, Daniel, I just want to say this, yeah. that I, I just want and I know there's so many people that feel the same way that we don't want to be apologetic for being South Australian. Mm -hmm. We want to be proud. And so we need to have a mentality where we will, we will compete and not always say, oh, but, you know, it's unfair for us so we need a bit of extra welfare from Canberra. Mm. The Israel and Singapore, I mean, different position, their backs are up against the wall. Oh, they've, they've got no – so South Australia seems to, like you said, I, hold its hand out more so than off, more, more than others. But, but why – is that acceptable? I mean, I, I live here. I love this state. I'm a proud South Australian, but I get frustrated hearing that these policies haven't worked. 
I get frustrated hearing those statistics, seeing that things are going backwards. I get told being an entrepreneur and starting my own business in this state saying, if you can do business in South Australia, you can do it anywhere. Why is why does this always come up? Why can, can't we be a front runner and a leader in this country or, well, or in the world? It's complex, but I've used this phrase before. You know, there's that famous book by Donald Horne, The Lucky Country, and that mm. describes Australia. I, I think SA is a little like that as well on a mm. much smaller scale, of course, uh, because federation helps us. Mm. Um, the way GST money is distributed, we get more than the share that we should otherwise be entitled to because of the way it's calculated. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got more as a percentage of our population members of parliament in Canberra. You know, we've got the defence industry here. Um, and then we're just part of Australia, this amazing country mm-hmm. with all these commodity exports that makes us rich record terms of trade at the moment. So, so look, Daniel, I don't know the answer to that. We've all got our opinions, uh, but as a matter of fact, is it just that we've been so fortunate that we're in this extraordinary country uh, and so we've been able to live still very, very well um, uh, and not have to necessarily challenge ourselves in the, in, the, <clears throat> in the way that you just said that a Singapore and Israel has had to mm. What, in your opinion, needs to be done to turn well, this well, to turn yeah. the ship so, around? So, so can we just can you, no, thank you. So, so can we just? I, I raise two issues to be succinct: fiscal and growth. Yep. And we just put fiscal to bed. Uh, all I would hope for at the moment is that the issue is on the table. I think there's been real silence uh, in South Australia for some time now about debt affordability. Mm-hmm. Uh, amongst the political class, and I just would hope that both sides of politics would focus in on this issue even more. And, look, I might get criticised for saying that the Treasurer might say, Adrian, I have, and the Shadow Treasurer might say, Adrian, I have, and maybe I haven't seen it, maybe it hasn't had the media attention. Mm-hmm. I think, in fairness, that Stephen Mulligan, uh, who's a very competent person, um, is honing in on the issues, mm-hmm. but I, I would just love to see maybe a little bit more bipartisanship on this mm-hmm. to say what is that natural level of debt that we can afford and do we need to engage in fiscal repair. So mm-hmm. that, 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 can we leave that aside? We can. On growth, mm-hmm. that's the more exciting stuff because the fiscal is to get the, get the platform right. Now we want to build on that platform. Yep. Fisc- fiscal, build on the platform. I, you know, I've said it before and I'll say it again until I'm blue in the face. Education and research will be our salvation. Mm-hmm. Uh, lifting the quality and output of our schools, um, reforming, I believe, our university system. And I'm, I'm, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a huge supporter of the current government's commission into South Australian universities mm-hmm. and contemplating a merger just so at least we're looking at them as a source of growth and they're an engine room of activity and work out what is the best way for those three universities to act as the engine room of the state. So that's that, that's a key area and the state's doing that, so I think that's, that's terrific. But on top of that... So sorry, just on that, are you saying that there is going to be a merger or they're looking into it? No, no, it? they're looking to the policy is we want to examine a merger. Yeah. We have an expert commission looking at the pros and cons. Mm-hmm. But really what that policy is is we want to look closely at the universities and make sure that they are operating in the best possible way for the South Australian economy. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an activist policy position and I think it's excellent. I think I think it's entirely appropriate. And is the point of that because right now we've got three universities competing for the same talent and f- effectively not being in the top 
100 of top 100 yeah, as you know yeah. so every every state um every mainland state i don't think tasmania has has a top 100 university except for sa so wa queensland new south wales victoria yeah. but, and, and anu in canberra as well but yeah. more than that um they've all got a pretty strong number two mm. uh we don't Mm. So when you go to the university, Adelaide's first at maybe around the 130 mark, depending on which index. But after that, it falls away a long way to the University of SA in Flint, in the 400s mark. Yep. While the other states have, most of them have, you know, there's a QUT or there's a University of New South Wales or there's a Monash. So there's a lack of depth as well. Mm. Now we're smaller, but, but look, I'll just come back to this. Universities have got such potential to be a source of or, or, or a form of renaissance of our economy that I don't think we can just ignore them, we have to tackle them, and I think it's terrific that the government is actually tackling the issue and looking closely at it. Mm. On top of all of that, I argue strongly that we need a much more powerful and well-funded applied research se sector. So to put some colour on this, you've heard of the Fraunhofer Institute or mm. institutes in Germany. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's, it's probably one of the key drivers of why it's an industrial powerhouse. The Fraunhofer Institute has, I think, 74 different sub-institutes, you know, thousands, I think 30,000 in total scientists and engineers. Uh, it generates 750 on average patents a year. Mm -hmm. We need our own mini version of that in SA in the right sectors, and I'm not going to uh, say which sectors it should be. That's beyond me. I haven't done the work. But, but we need to look closely at how we link the high schools to the universities and then into industry and have – an applied research engine room. Mm -hmm. And I, I argue over and over again, and I'll keep repeating it, that our public sector spend of, you know, well over $20 billion, if only we could more efficiently spend some of that money on creating a, a greater applied research ecosystem in this state through the creation of an equivalent of a Fraunhofer, if only we could do that. Because if we could, we'd retain our best and brightest and this, this would be just an attraction of industry that mm. would create long-term industrial strength. So, so look, it's a bit simplistic. We could go into a lot more detail and we'll do that on podcast three. <laughs> but my, my fundamental message is that education and research should be the highest, the highest priority uh, for our state government uh, and there's, there's a pathway there but it requires reform and a reallocation of current spending. So... If we focus all of our attention or a lot of our attention on the research and universities, obviously there's a clear, clear link, right? You have a top performing, top 100 university. You attract some amazing talent to the state. You then keep those people because the research is here, right? Yeah, obviously it's simple. It's that, very simple. It's, it's very simple. But, is, but how long does that take? Like how long will – Yes. And and what what when will we see the the benefits of that? Uh, it's a fair point, and this is where it gets difficult politically, because the key point I make is yes, we do have a very bright future where we can be an industrial powerhouse, mm -hmm. but there's no short term solution. This will take a long time, mm -hmm. not hundreds of years, but a decade or two. Mm -hmm. And secondly, there's no easy way because to do it, you have to change what you're doing today. And that yeah. means none of us like change. Yeah. So it is ambitious. Uh, it does take a long time. It can't be the only economic activity because you've got to deal with a short-term issue as well. But if you want a blueprint of how to actually make sure that the next 30 years 
is effective and that the government can say at the end of it, actually this time it did work, I believe this is the framework to pursue Mm -hmm. rather than the existing framework of um, corporate welfare, holding your hand as you said, which won't create a robust competitive um, uh, industry. You said there and it just stuck out of me because it's something, you know, I work in a business that manages change for large organisations and you said there um, no one likes change. The alternative of going down this path doesn't seem like the right option though. So so we have to like – so one thing that I always say is there's that comment that people don't like change but if I was to put a million dollars in front of you right now, I'm quite certain you would like the change. So we need to just position it in a way – it is because it's a long-term thing. People can only see as far see as too far ahead. Mm. You know, change therefore the perception of pain in the short term. Um, you know, some some dreary years where it's just hard work. But with with clear, and then you've got an electoral cycle in the middle of it. You know, but, that's a hard road, isn't it? But a clear vision of where we want to be. With a, I'm sure there's researchers and studies that can say, look, if we start now, we will see these trends in 20 years' time. Look, I, I, I believe you can from where I sit, but quite fairly, if you're a political leader with not just short-term pressure but pressure by the hour mm. to solve problems, you will say to Adrian Temple when you walk in, if you're the Premier or the, or the opposition leader, when you've got time, uh, Adrian, um, yeah, you, 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 you might be right uh, and let me think about it, but mm. you'll go back quite fairly yeah. to your uh, day-to-day pressures um, and you'll lose sight of what I'm talking about. So I'm not, I, I will never criticise any political no. leaders because I've got such pressure on them. But that's why you and I are here to try and create the momentum to make it easier for them to contemplate these types well, of bold policies. Well, I think you're right. I mean I, I'm not electing uh, a government into a position or into power because – I'm worried about what's happening in the next four years. I'm electing it because I believe that they're going to benefit this state. Well, you might, but, you know, we might be lucky where we have the, the, the luxury of thinking long term. Mm. Most South Australians don't have that luxury. You know, it, it, it's a day-to-day. Have we week. asked them? Well, I'm, I'm not the yeah, expert. Yeah, that's true. You know, uh, but my perception is uh, that many of our South Australian, you know, friends and colleagues – um, don't have the luxury of thinking four, eight or 12 years ahead. Mm. They've got short-term pressures. So our poor political class has to balance that yeah. with irritating people like us that preach long-term <laughs> But vision. couldn't that be solved with some clear communication and evidence-based research? Well, look, I, look, I, I believe so. Because- uh, and I believe, you know, it, we, we, we might not do it perfectly, but if 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 – the, the themes that I'm talking about, let's just say they're right. Mm-hmm. They need to be debated yep. and contrary voices. There'll be plenty of them. And I'm not saying I've got a monopoly on good policy, <laughs> but I'd like to think that this is an important contribution to make. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, once there's a little momentum there, little shifts in our public sector thinking and mm-hmm. then our political class and then our media and then our university, you know, the economic faculties. Yeah. Yes, we can get there. And obviously – we believe we can, otherwise you and I wouldn't be spending a Friday morning yeah. sunny and beautiful <laughs> in this room. Yeah. But we should never say it's easy and we should never be disrespectful of 
uh, the leadership out there now because they're doing it's 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 hard work for them. I agree. I just think, uh, and and knowing, I know this to be true yep. with clear vision uh, and clear communication, transparent communication. Right now, we we've got majority. You're saying majority of South Australia looking uh, who who don't think long term because they don't do that in their own lives. But if we were to show them the opportunities that South Australia could be, right, and show them two paths. Hey, everyone, we're going down this path or if we change a few things, we go down this path, which future would you like to live in? Wouldn't the results just speak for themselves? It makes logical sense. It does. It makes logical sense and you and I agree it, uh, but quite fairly someone with political expertise would say, um, you know, that's a challenge mm. and we've only got so many hours in the day. So, so look, I'm not defending the political class. Yeah. You're not criticising them either. No. We're having an educated discussion, I believe, mm -hmm. about the state that we love. Uh, and, and, and what's brilliant about, I think, this discussion, I just hope some people listen to it, is that it's <laughs> we've these... We've got a bit of a following. But it's these... <laughs> no, no, I wasn't being disrespectful <laughs> to you. I was, I was laughing at myself. But, but it's these types of debates... Yeah that we desperately want. And the answer is always going to be somewhere in the middle, isn't it? Yeah. Because as I said, you, you're not – well, I'm not. Uh, I have a monopoly on, on great knowledge. But there's probably something in there. Mm. There's probably something in current policies that I'm maybe undervaluing. Mm -hmm. But somewhere in the middle might be the answer and that will get us to a better place. Mm -hmm. So we need to continuously challenge and debate these issues in a respectful way. Yeah. So you, you brought up earlier um, one of the policies of precincts and art and yeah. infrastructure. Can we can we yeah, touch look, on that? Because uh, we've got some amazing things like Lot 14, but I know that you have uh, – Yeah, I'm very – I'm very. Um, if we were Switzerland yeah. and we had deep pockets, I'd say, you know, we shouldn't have just built Tonsley. We should have built another two down there. Mm -hmm. And we shouldn't have just done Lot 14. We should have done Lot 15 and 16 and 17. You know, but we're not. We've got fiscal challenges. Mm -hmm. And I want to, I want to put, this, put it this way. I, again, Lot 14, Tonsley, Mawson Lakes, there's been other precincts set up in this state before and there's many of them set up around the world in other states. They are well-intentioned. Their government's saying we want to do something to modernise this economy, let's create a hub and it's tangible and you can see it and the people can relate to it. And so it's been done over and over again. But there are so many studies now that show that they almost never work and just think about this anecdotally. What is Tonsley? Tonsley is an old car factory where the government has acquired it and it's subdivided the land up and it's attracted tenants. Flinders University moved people there or created new buildings there that they would have done elsewhere. They would have done it, just a question of where they where, went. Yeah. TAFEs are the same thing. Um, what has it added to the private sector's ability to build buildings for tenants? Then you say, or and Lot 14 is the same, you know, we've got a CBD. There's vacancy in the CBD. Did we need to create new commercial space? That's mm. my question. I, I'd say no. The second question is yes, but it creates some unique proximity between these tenants mm -hmm. that means they do special things. And I, I must say I do laugh at that because in a digital world, mm. a globally connected world that is digital, increasingly work from home, are you seriously telling me that we need governments to create buildings where tenants meet each other in the hallway? Mm. Are you seriously suggesting that 
a central business district or people on a Facebook page can't do that themselves. Or if government wants to stimulate collaboration, there's a much cheaper way of doing it, isn't there? Uh, you, you could just hire a room for the day and invite everyone in for drinks mm. and let them get to know each other and they'll exchange their, you know, I'm not a social media person, but their, I don't know, their TikTok or their Instagram yeah. references but, and off but, they go. Do we need to spend hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars and take a whole lot of the government's focus to create new buildings when the private sector has created plenty and it's called a CBD? Yes, in, in, I, I, I understand your point, sure, sure. but we know that you do not learn something in a one-day workshop. You do not create trusting relationships in a one-day workshop. You do not spitball and come up, come up with ideas in a, in a one-day gathering or a, or a couple of workshops here and there. It is being in a community. It's a petri dish for innovation. That's what they're trying to do, is it not? It is. And in theory, it sounds great. But then when you think about the money spent in creating a little mini CBD mm. when, we've already, when we've already got one, mm. you have to say to yourself, wasn't there an easier and cheaper way to bring people together when, as I said, high mm. tech is global? Yeah. I mean, the reality is that if you talk to most high tech companies in Adelaide, Australia or the world, they'll rarely be focusing on just what's around them. They'll have collaborations all around the world with the best people. Yeah. So, so that, that's the case already. But digital is only enhancing that. Mm. And so I say, uh, why would you spend your money reproducing physical form that's brittle and that already exists? Yeah. So that aside. That, that and, and, and if you were super rich, great. No, don't do it. Yeah, but we're not. That, that aside, though, has it been successful? I don't know. And this is the point. Do we know the cost of these precincts? And that's a rhetorical well, question. Yeah, I don't know. You, I think you'll do. find it very difficult to know the true cost of Tonsley. Yeah, well, what's the Morrison return Lakes? on investment? And then, therefore, if you don't know the cost, mm. how can you begin to understand the benefits? Mm. And also, what would have happened if you did something different? It's easy to say, oh, we created X numbers of jobs, but that, that money that you spent could have created so many more jobs perhaps if you used it more productively or efficiently. So, mm. so I'm not the first person to challenge precincts. There's, there's le yeah. recently been a book written on it oh, really? with case studies that's very sceptical by mm. an ex-CSIRO uh, expert in the field. So I'm not original in my thinking, uh, but what I hope is that we properly do a cost-benefit so we get the policy settings right in the future. And I'm never, I'm, I will never criticise those that have driven this in the past. Mm -hmm. You know, previous premiers have been advocates for Tonsley uh, and Lot 14 and it's well-intentioned uh, and they believed in what they were doing and I'm sure great things have been achieved. But I, I question whether it was the best use of money. Uh, Mike? I want to play devil's advocate here for one sec. There's, there's some remarkable things happening down there. You know, fintech, there's the, the tech and fintech industry, there's the defense and space, yep. there's there's some amazing stuff. And it from the outside, it, it looks like it's buzzing. And and when you actually walk in, I have a lot of meetings in, down, down there and it's a, a really exciting space to be in and you speak to the people who are there and they love it and they say we're, we're, we have the potential to change the world here just being in this environment. Are you suggesting that there is no benefit from that? No, or? no of course there's a benefit but could have that been achieved far more cheaply Okay. when you've got buildings through the whole city mm -hmm. where walking 
you know, a block isn't that difficult. Mm. Certainly in a digital world, yeah. it's not. Well, I mean, you came Digi- here today. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that business, I, I keep saying CBD, it, yeah. it's an old invention. Mm. You know, the, the town square is an old invention. The private sector does it really well. We have commercial agents that find new tenancies really, really quickly. All of that exists. Yeah. Do you need to reproduce a mini version of that on the other side of the of the road from the CBD or in the you know in the in the southern suburbs? Yeah. Is that money well spent in a fiscally constrained world? In a world where and I'll, I'll come to something constructive in a moment, where that money could be spent on something more productive? And you say what? Well, let me let me let me tell you what startups want. Most importantly, they want new customers. Mm-hmm. So I, I I would say to you. Maybe it's, it, you will attract more startups to South Australia if the state government is more innovative in its procurement mm-hmm. and allocates more money to buying innovative tech products. <laughs> yeah. You know, that oh, might be more appealing. I'll second that. <laughs> you know, that so that's point one. <laughs> yeah. the, the, the second point is you will attract startups to South Australia mm-hmm. if they come here to work with great people. So mm-hmm. if there's a great research institute, that is generating some of the best animation technology in the world, mm. you'll get animation companies coming here and they won't need a precinct to attract them. They will say, I'm moving to Portland or I'm moving to Hollywood because they've got the best film industry there or the best tech industry and I want to be around there. Yeah, Silicon Valley, we all yeah, talk about that. Yeah. They won't say to you, Dad, I'm moving to Silicon Valley because this is an amazing building. Yeah. They'll say, I want to be around these people. So I say you'll attract the people to Adelaide if you're doing great work and you don't need to spend hundreds of millions on precincts to do it. Mm. That's what I'm saying. And just one idea, you'll be, you're more likely to attract them if they can work with a research group that's world-class, mm. the best PhDs in the world. So spend some of that. If you, if you save money on Tonsley or Lot 14, spend money on creating that Fraunhofer yeah, Mark II. Yeah, I see what you're saying. And okay. second, yeah. maybe they can win a government contract and they say we're moving to Adelaide because we've picked up our first big customer contract and we're going to go near our customer. And remember, to anyone listening, these Fraunhofer Institutes can be called, you know, the, the uh, Malinowskis Institute one day yeah. Yeah. or they can be um, uh, called, you know, named after the opposition leader. Yeah. So this is, what, this is what they'll write books about. Yeah, I don't okay. think it'll be the precincts that they write books about. It'll, it'll change the way we do things. Uh, so out of curiosity and last question on this precinct stuff, if – if a unicorn business comes out like a Canberra and Atlassian, given they're the biggest businesses to sort of, uh, and, you know, not so much BHP, but like Atlassian, this tech-type scenario, uh, tech-type business comes out and there's a, it's a unicorn business, will that be of benefit to South Australia? Can I – I'm so glad you asked that. Think, I want you to think about this scenario. It's not theoretical. Can you imagine what this city would be like if we were the headquarters of one of the world's, if not the world's, biggest and most powerful media companies? Mm. Just think about that for a moment. Mm. Can you imagine what Adelaide would be like if it was the headquarters for News Corp Mm. and Fox? Think about Rupert Murdoch, never forget this. He started here, oh, it's going back probably 60 years. I think it was in his early 20s, 90s. could be up to 60 or 70 years now. And he started in Adelaide. And up, up until about 20 years ago, we were still technically the head office mm-hmm. town of News Corp. 
So can you and, and what he did, just so you know, he started, you know, he inherited the, the afternoon newspaper mm-hmm, here mm-hmm. called The News mm-hmm. and then he took over, you know, the advertiser and he, and he built it into a national. He then moved to Sydney as he built a national arm and then he moved to London as he dominated the UK and then he moved to New York, he dominated the world effectively. Mm-hmm. Imagine if he had stayed here. Mm-hmm. Do you know what the News Corp head office is like or what the Fox head? I mean, we're talking thousands of some of the, most smartest, well-paid, sexiest people in the world. Are. Mm. Now, you don't. So, so I answer your question that way. Imagine if he had stayed here and done it from Adelaide. Now, mm. I'm going to say two more things. He probably couldn't have population. Well, not population. I don't think it's population. Um, I don't think he could have ever built what he did. The most extraordinary Australian commercial achievement, I think, in the history of Australia. One man creates the you know, arguably the most powerful media empire in the world. It doesn't get enough credit. Mm. But from Adelaide, mm. from an Adelaide newspaper. Mm. He probably couldn't have done it from Adelaide because he would have been too far away from the customers, I think. Mm-hmm. Sydney, then London. He needed to be near them, he, the nature of his industry. Mm-hmm. But let's just say Rupert Murdoch had started off in pharmaceutical. Let's just say he started off with a single drug. Yeah. Now, he could have done that from Adelaide. He could have built the next GSK the next Pfizer in Adelaide because that's, that's, that's an industry where you can be based. If you look at the German companies, the French, you know, mm. the, the, they can be based quite a long way away from their customers because it's the industrial hub where they make things, where they do the research. That could have been done. So, so there's your answer. One man or one woman could transform this state if they took a little afternoon newspaper, if it was, say, industrial, and they take on the world. So it, 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 it can be done and it's been done but a number of businesses have sold out of Bill. I mean, Robert de Crepney, I've mentioned before, yeah. built a $4 billion gold company from here, sold it 20 years ago. If he'd kept going, some people say that company would be worth now probably about $100 billion. Mm. If it was still here in Adelaide, it would have changed the city. So in answer to your question, it's possible that this place can be transformed just by one or two Atlassians mm. fundamentally. Yeah, I love it. Now, you might say, oh, Adrian, doesn't that mean we just sit back and wait for the next Rupert Murdoch? You need to have 500 people that are potentially like him and then one might come through the system. Mm. You know, it's like becoming an Olympic yeah, governor. No. But then, and then having government policy to entice them to create stay so here. so many of them. Yeah. Make them loved. Yeah. But we're not going to create Hollywood here. No. We're not going to create the next media empire, but we can create industrial powerhouses in – uh, technology, whether it's, you know, the things that we're pursuing at Lot 14, great credit, you know, whether it's AI uh, or cyber. But my argument is to get there, you're going to need to build the research education hubs and spend your money more on that mm-hmm. uh, than on buildings. So to, to, just to clarify what we've been talking about, we have a fiscal problem. Yep. We have a growth problem. Yep. And your idea and thought process is that research and education are the two critical things we need to Think about working on to fix them. On the growth problem yeah. and then on the fiscal problem, yeah. we need bipartisan discussion on debt levels and mm-hmm. then we need reform. Okay. And I believe we need reform of uh, our spending priorities, which includes government. So in all that, it's very clear right now, Like, and let's take the research and, and education piece aside, it's very clear right now that South Australia hasn't quite made up its mind what it wants to be when we grow up, Right. We're trying, we've got a bit of everything yeah. going on yeah. here. Yeah. Uh, look, I can't answer that because I've never 
done the work and I don't have the expertise to say whether it's sensible for us to focus on a small number of industrial areas. Mm -hmm. I suspect it is. It makes sense to me that you can't be a hero in everything Mm -hmm. and you need to focus on strengths. That's all very logical. Mm -hmm. I accept all of that. I think our current government will say, and it might be valid, that defence, hydrogen slash renewables are at least two of our priorities. Mm -hmm. And I think that's probably a sensible thing to do. But to get there, if we are in those areas, I think two is a a little bit thin. And secondly, it will need, I think, a high level of investment in what I was saying before, the research and expertise around those areas that will allow them to be successful and not just hope that we will uh, magically win additional additional investment in those areas. So Mm -hmm. I think my answer to you is uh, we need to work more on what our strengths are and make some choices. But I don't know exactly whether that's two or three or four or Mm. five. I'm not sure. But are those choices in exports, is that like an industrial sense or can it be in tech or what – or is it all is it all just one ecosystem? What does that look like? Well, there are there are areas of innovation, obviously. Mm-hmm. There are areas of you know we always talk about biotech, mm-hmm. or which we have a great cl- company here in yeah, South Australia called BioBank, which is doing a, sure, a wonderful sure, sure. thing. No, no, we, yeah. we've got a great history mm-hmm. of medical research. You know, human health is a you know area as, as the world gets bigger and richer yeah. and older. Um, healthcare solutions are in demand. Obviously, defence technologies are in demand as well because we are entering into an unstable geopolitical period. Clean energy is obviously in demand, dealing with cyber risk and, 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 the, and the evolution of computing technology into quantum and AI is obviously going likely to be in demand as well. Nothing original there. Mm-hmm. But exactly how we position ourselves and how we would establish our greater level of applied research activity, you know, my Malinowskis Institute, mm-hmm. you know, the Fraunhofer yeah, yeah, Institute, yeah. Malinowskis yep. Institute. Yep. Um, exactly what they focus on and how they design. A lot of work needs to be done, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm I'm stimulating the idea. Yeah, are you the only one beating this drum? Uh, I'm sure I'm not. Um, I'm sure there's plenty of people that at least privately would be, uh, and some maybe more actively. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I hope more and more people will, or if they disagree and have alternative uh, solutions or issues, I hope this this draws them out as well. Given the statistics that you've read out today, is it too late to turn the ship around? It's never too late in Australia mm-hmm. because we're protected by federation. Mm-hmm. So as, our, as we contract, we're still subsidised by Canberra. Um, and so as a result, we still have our GST allocations. We've still got a few more politicians in Canberra than our population suggests. So we do contract, but it happens slowly because we're underwritten. And, of course, we've still got the mining royalties from, you know, Olympic Dam. We've still got agriculture generating tax revenues. Mm-hmm. We've got some hedge. But do you want slow decline? Mm. Do you want it to just steadily continue the way it has and for us to just no. slowly get poorer and slowly get poorer? No. No, absolutely not. So there won't be a disaster. We're not going to go bankrupt. Uh, it's not going – the world's not going to end but I think we'll continue to decline unless we change and change means accepting long-term solutions and the need for us to roll our sleeves up. So in essence, we've got a quite a good foundation to build up. Of course on. we have. We're, 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 we're South Australians. Yeah. We're blessed. Yeah, we Look are. at all this land. Yeah. You know, I think we get $300 million of mining royalties every year. 
know, before we get out of bed. Mm. All that agricultural activity, all that beautiful yeah. land. Federation, you know, I've repeated that. But we've, we're, we're lucky. So for those listening right now who don't sit in a leadership position within the state or don't, you know, are civilians who are sitting in the back bench, not really uh, having any influence on the decisions that are made, what can we do? Like there, there would be people sitting right now saying, oh, well, I, I don't want so to, con- yeah, I don't want those trends to continue. What can I do? What can well, we do? I hope that people more and more will engage on these issues, ask what the costs are of our economic policies, ask for evidence of what they're doing and ask on, you know, the questions of whether this is the best use of our precious funds, Mm. precious taxpayer dollars uh, to drive our economy forward and ask also are there alternative options and views that we can weigh up and vote on at elections. So when you're talking... To those people right now saying, ask those questions, who are you Who are you pointing your finger at? Oh. Is it industry leaders, business leaders? Well, everybody. I mean, we, we but, all, but you're uh, not going to get that from the front line because I don't think about economic policy. I accept that. I, I accept that but, you know, you have to start somewhere. Yeah. And my job, it's in my terms of reference as the chairman of the Productivity Commission, is my job in part is to communicate what I believe or the commission believes are the economic issues of the day so mm. you try. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe no one will ever listen to a word I say, more than likely. Mm-hmm. But you try and you get your word out and you keep saying what you believe is right. What happens if people don't? You know when people are getting door knocked by yeah. their local MP? Ask. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hope some people do. If what you're saying today, and, and, I, know, and I know you, you're going to continue pushing this agenda, but it, what happens if they don't listen in your world? What, what, what happens to you? So what do, you, what do you mean by that? What, what, you know, if you're not going to have the influence oh, that you yeah, can. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, at some point you'll say, look, I'm not having any impact mm-hmm. and I need to um, uh, either change myself mm-hmm. and do it better or accept that I'm never going to have any impact and maybe encourage someone else who will um, to take over. But, you know, I'm young enough and energetic enough to keep pushing these views and debating the issues and to see whether um, – uh, there might be something useful in, in so, what I say. So there will be industry leaders and CEOs and position, people of in positions of power listening to this podcast. What's your message to them in order to support or, I mean, they might not all need to support, but in order to support the growth of South Australia? Well, well many people will disagree with me and they'll say, Adrian, you're a knocker <laughs> and you're being a little bit divisive. Uh, and you're negatively impacting on confidence. Okay. And so therefore um, you should talk about the good things that are going on. And I say I will talk about the good things, but I'm not going to get caught up in anecdotes and one-off examples and opinions. Mm-hmm. Present facts and shut me down with long-term evidence that shows that we're not in decline. Shut me down with long-term evidence that shows that our policies are working. And then I'll become a member of the cheer squad. But my job isn't just to be nice. My job isn't to try and be popular. If I want to be popular, I go into politics. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I'm not, I'm not, that's not my job. Mm. I've got to be honest and real. Mm. Um, and, you know, do, do you appease a dictator uh, and just say, oh, yes, dictator, you're great? No, you've got a challenge. And so, I'm not, by the way, I'm not comparing our state no, governments with that. No, no. I'm just using that as an example yeah. of appeasement. Sometimes you've just got to stand up uh, and be real uh, and accept that you're not going to be popular. 
I hope to be in time, maybe respected, but let's wait and see. So in, in rounding off this chat, it's been an amazing and insightful chat. So thank you. I, I, I want to give you some air on what your thought processes are moving forward. And, and if there is anything that you feel like you haven't covered off, uh, I would love. No, I, don't, I don't think. No, I, I, look, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to speak uh, and to have this on the record mm -hmm. uh, and for it to be scrutinized and challenged. Um, I have a huge optimism that the South Australian political class has the capacity uh, to have imagination mm -hmm. and to look closely at the facts and over time um, make choices that I think are the right choices. I'm not, I'm not saying that they've uh, done it incorrectly to date, but I do think we have to continue to evolve and change and I hope uh, that there are a few people listening in and this might have some impact in the way they implement their, um, their public lives. Brilliant. So as we walk out of the room today, what are you going to continue doing to support this and to keep beating this drum? Oh, look, you know, I spend most of my week running a, a very important business that yep. I'm very passionate about mm -hmm. and I allocate spare time for this role that I make uh, and I'm just going to keep taking every random opportunity to do more analysis, more thinking, more debating and more communication. Mm -hmm. And I wish I had the whole week to do it, um, uh, but I don't. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I'll just keep trying to use my time as uh, productively as possible and, and hopefully just be slightly useful uh, to South Australia. Brilliant. Thank you for everything that you're doing and thank you for uh, raising. I know one thing that you have said time and time again is that you, uh, you may be the unpopular person coming out of this, but... We need to uh, we need to challenge. It's it's through these sort of things that that can create great change. So appreciate the work that uh, you and the team are doing at the Productivity Commission. Pleasure, and thank you for having me on. Thanks, everyone. We will wrap that up now, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the podcast. All you can check out the show notes if there was anything of interest to you, and find out more about us at synergyiq.com.au. I am going to ask though, if you did like the podcast, it would absolutely mean the world to me if you could subscribe, rate and review. And if you didn't like it, that's all right too. There's no need to do anything. Take care guys, all the best.